With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. What's up, Open Floor Globe? I'm your host, Michael the Pod Pina, and I'm joined on the other line by my good friend, Sports Illustrated senior writer, Chris Herring. Uh, Chris, I am currently located in a hotel room in downtown Minneapolis here for game six between the Grizzlies and the Timberwolves. I've been flying back and forth between these two cities for what feels like an eternity. My brain is scrambled eggs. How are you doing, my friend? I'm good. I, I, I legitimately feel bad. And I was expressing that before <laughs> that you've been so on the go, man. But uh, it's part of what makes you great. And um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I hope the series ends soon so that you can at least shift your focus a little bit and also get back home sometime soon because we're going to need you for the, the playoff run, man. We're running your minutes a little bit high. You mean after this series, there's more basketball? Is that how this works? That's generally how it works, uh, unfortunately. But yeah, that is generally how it works. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, on today's show, uh, you and I will be opening up the mailbag and we will be previewing a few second round matchups. But first, a quick reminder to please keep your emails coming. Openfloormail at gmail.com. That's openfloormail at gmail.com. All right, Chris. Uh, last night in Toronto, the Sixers... Kind of, I mean, they shocked me. I don't know if they shocked everyone by blowing out the Raptors 132 to 97. James Harden looked like James Harden, which wasn't great news for Gary Trent Jr. Uh, Joel Embiid looked like Joel Embiid despite the thumb injury. Tyrese Maxey was at times the best basketball player in the country of Canada. What was your main takeaway just watching that game, mostly as it relates to this Sixers team going forward? And were you as surprised as? I, I, I can't even speak for everyone, but I was pretty. I mean, at halftime, it was looking like a toss up game. And then the Sixers yeah, just kind of ran them off the court. Just like, were you as surprised as I was by the end result? A, a little bit, not the result, but the the size of the result, the the blowout nature of it. Um, it was weird, you know, earlier in the week, as I do every week, I'm normally trying to figure out what I want to kind of lead my 
newsletter with our newsletter with it, SI uh, called the Playmaker. And to me, there was starting to be so much noise around the Sixers and the Raptors series, a lot of which we saw Doc Rivers respond to earlier in the week. Um, and can we so pause right I, there for two seconds? Sure, please go ahead. What are you? What are you, what are your thoughts on Doc and the defensiveness? Okay, two two thoughts. Um, and maybe this is me liking Doc as, as a person. I don't know very many people that don't like him as a person. Uh, he's, he's, he's very candid. He talks to everybody. He makes everybody feel like, you know, your long lost friend, um, which is one of his specialties. Um, I don't mind him being defensive about something that, I mean, like everybody harps on it. Everybody harps on it. And I do think that it's a two-way street. One, damn, you've lost a lot of games or lost a lot of chances to close out a series. But on the other hand, like he's been in a lot of playoff series. He's won a lot of series. He's won a championship. He's gotten his team to that point, which is not difficult considering some of the teams he was coaching. Um, the Clippers, I mean, their, their history, the stuff that was going on when he first took over the job, um, the fact that his teams were banged up. So you're always, when we think about our mistakes in life, and maybe some people are not like this, and, and God bless them if they're not, we normally caveat the things that we failed at or that we maybe let slip through the cracks. We provide context for those things. So I don't blame Doc for doing that. What was a little bit eye-opening, and for once agreed with someone on Inside the NBA, Kenny Smith was saying, like, why are you even going down that path with them? Mm -hmm. Yes, they're asking the question, but on some level, you're up 3-2, you're not even in a spot yet where it's three, three, where you even have a game seven to worry about yet. So why even kind of give them the ammunition to go further with it to show that you're defensive and that your mindset is that we somehow have to be thinking about this. Like you're really theoretically at least one game and maybe two away from even having to think about blowing this lead. So don't go there with them. Don't, 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 don't fuel their fire even more. And I do agree with that. But I also didn't, you know, I still picked, I was on a, um, a quick radio appearance yesterday in Toronto and, and said I still would not pick the Raptors to win the series. I still think it's a little bit of an uphill battle for them. They played very well the last few games, um, but it's difficult to do that. And, and why I led my uh, newsletter with Harden was the fact that I kind of felt like all it would take for him is to have one big breakout performance. And that was essentially what I was saying in the newsletter is, if Harden plays well, it plays up to his capabilities even once, that could be enough to close the series out. It's just that when Maxi and Harris and Embiid are not playing particularly well, that's what you have someone like Harden for. That's what he's supposed to do. Um, so I know he has not been 100% himself lately, but mm -hmm. it really took one knockout blow from him. And obviously, like you said, the other guys played well too. But uh, it wasn't stunning that it happened. It was just stunning to see like the second half collapse from the Raptors really third quarter collapse. The game was really over by the end of the third quarter. Philly's offense showed up. Danny green hit some huge threes in the first half that really kept them. Cause I felt like that was the type of game where if the Sixers went down double digits in the first half, it could have gotten pretty sure. ugly going the other way. Cause Gary Trent was hitting shots. Scotty Barnes was hitting shots. Um, real quick about duck. Do you remember like 10 years ago when it was like Greg Popovich, Rick Carlisle, Doc Rivers, those were like the three amigos. Those are like the three like hands down best coaches. And it's just like funny to me how um, 
when you coach as long as Doc has, like he's fourth all time in postseason wins, um, has a winning percentage in the playoffs. I don't know. Like I, I just think like the blown lead stuff is just like kind of corny. And I, I feel like uh, he had it up to here and it makes me feel like he also has a burner account on Twitter and is just like obsessing <laughs> over what people are saying about but, him. Cause but, I don't know why that's what I'm saying. Back. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's gotten, we've seen some real extremes with a lot of things the last few years. And, and, you know, it's not often that I talk about um, kind of just, but I, I just kind of feel like there's so much group think on, on Twitter and, and, I mean, it doesn't, I, I'm, I'm not upset that people ask the question about it. Like, okay, you're a reporter. You have every right to ask the question. Doc Absolutely. has every right to answer it the way he wants to answer it. I'm not upset that he did it that way. Like I, like I said, I'm human. I probably would think that way too. Um, and I'm sure he heard all this stuff about Nick Nurse and how he's going to run circles around Doc in the series. And I mean, it didn't happen. Uh, and, and there are potentially other reasons that the Raptors didn't win the series. Obviously, they were banged up, uh, incredibly banged up throughout the series, starting the series, the, the end of the series, obviously without Van Vliet, which in some ways maybe helped them because he was hobbled. But, um, you know, I, if I was Doc, I would be tired of some of it too. So I understand being defensive. Um, but I also think that he's a good enough coach to potentially for them to win a championship with him. Like they've got the talent if everything goes right. If Harden plays up to his capabilities and if Embiid can play through the thumb, which yesterday was a very good sign for that. Um, like we don't need to, it's not, that Doc is such a albatross for them that they can't win. Like, and, and if that's the case, then there are larger problems there than, than a Toronto series. So anyway, um, I, th- I think some of that stuff was overblown. I understood why he responded the way he did, even if I kind of winced a little bit as I watched him do it. Yeah. So just talking real quick about, the game and then we're going to look forward to their matchup against the heat. But I did think it was interesting how doc started the second quarter with Embiid on the court for the first time in the playoffs. That's not something that Embiid um, that's just not their rotational pattern at all. Um, And I found that interesting just in terms of how they were playing the matchups going in the, in the second quarter. Um, Harden is just this fascinating variable right now. And you did a really good job um, highlighting that in your newsletter. Uh, Like part of me is kind of like, what are the Raptors just the, especially when Fred Van Fleet can't play, are they this just the worst possible matchup for him? And you saw in game six, like when Gary Trent Jr. wasn't on the court, he couldn't, find anyone to hunt and he was having a lot of sex a lot of success blowing by Gary Trent Jr. but then it's kind of like the ISOs weren't quite there and when he was run pick and roll you know their strategy that the Raptors strategy is essentially we're just going to take away Embiid on the short rolls we're going to stick with him on the pops and we're just going to give Harden this line like a, a, a runway into the paint and to Harden's credit like you saw it from the jump. He saw that runway and he had that dunk in the first quarter. And it was like, OK, yep. this is yep. Harden sees what's up. He has adjusted from the, those late regular season, that late regular season strategy. And our, we're, we're getting Harden. Um, I'm fascinated, though, if we're going to see this guy because like he's about yeah. to go up against this switch everything defense that completely neutralized Trey Young. Um in the first round, Bam Adebayo 
one of the best switch bigs in league history. I'm fascinated to see how the Miami Heat guard that pick and roll. Uh, just what are some of your like initial thoughts on on this matchup, and in particular, like how they're going to guard that action? Because it's it's a fascinating one. They could decide the series. Well, like you said, it's a switch everything team. I mean, my first initial thought with all of it was that. Um, you know, as we come out of one series where the Sixers, I'm sorry, where the Raptors had an injured, banged up point guard, so do the Heat. Um, I don't know exactly what the prognosis is on Lowry. Um, but like you said, in, in some ways, having a pick and roll point guard um, who is going to kind of invite switch after switch after switch after switch. Um, there's that meme. What is it? Is it is it goofy? where he just opens one door and then there's another door, and then there's another door. And there's, like, that's how Miami feels on defense. And uh, so I don't think Miami's afraid, you know, like you look at, and I don't think that Harden played, but maybe one game against Miami this year, but it was not a particularly memorable game for him. Uh, it was a forgettable game for him. And Embiid's numbers were not, I think he had one good game against Miami, but they were not great against Miami either for this season. So I mean, this is a team that is capable, certainly, of, of guarding Philly. Um, and I think what's interesting is that Toronto went into this knowing that you have to take away certain guys. And I think the problem with it for the Raptors was that at the beginning of the series, that really hurt them because it meant they were leaving other guys open and letting those guys get off. Maxi, Tobias Harris played really well to start the series. Um, Miami ain't got to do that. And uh, I mean, to some extent, I think the case is the same thing now when we watch Milwaukee um, in their series is the fact that the Bulls basically had to sell out on Giannis and leave other guys open. And Boston's defense is not going to invite those sorts of uh, advantages when uh, when when Milwaukee plays in that matchup. So th the, the second round adjustments are going to be really interesting just because the defenses are so much better for some of these teams than mm -hmm. what teams like Milwaukee and Philly saw in the first round, not that Toronto's defense is bad, but just that it was different. And like the fact that, okay, Toronto didn't have the size to guard and beat straight up. Uh, Miami will have that to some extent, or at least guys that are not going to really struggle as much with some of these matchups, I, I guess is maybe the best way to put it. Yeah. To me, this is, this series could just very well come down to the help offensively for Philly in terms of Tobias Harris, Tyrese Maxey, like is Furkan Korkmaz going to get minutes? George Niang, you need to hit your threes. Ooh, he needs to hit threes this series. My goodness. Yeah. Um, that could be like, that's, I think the number one thing for me, because I, I anticipate them switching, switching and then fronting Embiid. And then when Embiid gets it, you know, doubling just a lot of help, a lot of aggression, a lot of aggression, um, packing the paint, which is what they do so well and why their switch scheme is so effective. But like the, on those kickouts, like those guys got to hit those shots. And Maxi is particularly this, this fascinating X factor for me because he is very good. Um, and I, you know, you mentioned earlier the Lowry predicament. I don't know who is going to, to check Tyrese Maxi and how they can keep him in the half court. Um, he's just like good for six to eight points a game, strictly off of 
like even in the playoffs, like even against like a disciplined team like the Raptors, a, Raptors, a disciplined transition defense team, like he'll push. And there was a play finish. yesterday. There was a play yesterday. I'm trying to remember whose offensive foul it was, but he like he basically it happens sometimes in football where you get someone that almost holds, um, and it's it's like a preemptive hold because the running back gets out there so fast that the offensive lineman doesn't know what the hell is going on. And there was someone, it might have been Niang, I think, who set a screen. And it was like they didn't even get a chance to set the screen properly. So they're still moving uh, because Maxi just blew past in transition, basically. The guy is so fast. Um, so it'll, it'll be interesting to watch, man. Like, it, it'll be really interesting to watch. The switching is, is just at a level, obviously, in part, large part because of Bam. There's just so much switching that happens. Like you mentioned before, Harden. Um, often hunts people out, but I don't know what that looks like against the defense. The other thing that becomes really interesting in this series too is um, how does stuff change? For instance, when hero is in the game, you know, because of that, because that is naturally someone that you would hunt um, if he's on the court for long stretches, which, you know, the questions about Miami, I don't think are normally about their defense. It's probably more offense based. Um, and so you're going to want to have hero on the court, but, in those moments where you do that, how much is he attacked in the pick and roll? Yeah, Harden did not play at all. Um, did not play Miami at all after the trade deadline. And even when he was not out there, they attacked Hero mercilessly, infamously yep. um, in Philadelphia. I do think that that's a really intriguing one. And I also think that, like, does Eric Spolstra have this newfound confidence in Victor Oladipo to play in this series after the performance that he had? And could he get some of those minutes? I don't know. Just a fascinating little wrinkle Isn't here. Isn't that such a... It's not weird. Um, because, I mean, they, they've also had this happen before where you get Oladipo and then he gets hurt. And then you, you're scrambling trying to figure out how to replace the points that he scores. Um, he's like a designated scorer with the way they use him. Where he, I mean, literally do not use him at all. And then just comes in and can drop 20. Um, it's very, very interesting in a way that I can't really remember happening much. I'm, I'm trying to just on the spot now thinking about it. But yeah, I mean, I could see him getting spot minutes, but is he a regular part of the rotation? If their offense struggles, then maybe you have to throw him in there. But um, I still don't know if he's going to be an everyday part of the rotation now in the series, even with how well he's played. No. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm just more thinking of it as like, if first of all, we don't really know Lowry's status, right? We, we don't know Jimmy Butler's status and that is, uh, that that's pretty concerning. I would say, honestly, like he was by far their best player in that first round matchup against the Hawks. Um, one of the best players in the entire postseason. What is and, game one for that series? Uh, that's a wonderful question. I, I think Monday. I th- I, yeah, don't quote me on that because, like I said at the top, my brain is is scrambled yeah. eggs. It is Monday. You're right. Monday night. Okay. Um, so that sort of thing, maybe it, it was a little I, I know in our group chat, which we've talked about how oftentimes I'm, I'm either all the way in the group chat or I'm not really paying attention. But uh, we were all a little I, bit surprised. I envy that. I envy not paying attention. <laughs> we we were all a little bit surprised when Butler was a scratch when when he wasn't mm-hmm. playing. Uh, so you would hope now that having missed the last game and now having until Monday, we're talking on Friday right now, that those extra days help 
a lot. Um, and you know, the idea that you were able to close out without him having to play, um, is probably a good feeling too, but it, it is interesting. I mean, if he can't go, um, my feelings change about certainly the first game, but also the series a little bit. Um, if he's not right until game two, game three, if he's not playing until then, obviously it's, a, it's obviously a huge, huge blow for them in a series like this. Yeah. I just, I'm, I'm really interested to see who they put on, on maxi, um, you know, PJ Tucker spent minutes just hounding Trey Young in the last year. I feel like that was a good tune-up for, and obviously the, it's a completely different situation because Maxi is the third offensive option, and Trey Young is everything to that offense. So it's a, yeah. it's a little little different, but I am fascinated to see how they, because a part of me is almost like I know Maxi is not the head of the snake here, but like he's just so explosive and dangerous and threatening. And now that he has like, he's got the step back in his bag pretty consistently. Um, he's just like, you, you can't sleep on him at all, especially in the pick and roll when you're running hard in an Embiid and you throw it to him and, you know, the help defender, his man is like at the elbow, turns his head for a second and boom, Maxie's like at the rim. Like those plays are just humongous. You got to be on point at all times. And like, you know, there were stretches in uh, the first round where the heat went super duper small, took Deadman out of the rotation a little bit. I wonder if we're going to see that again, when Embiid is not on the floor uh, in the Paul Reed minutes, B-ball Paul. So I, I, I it's just a, uh, it's, it's a very fascinating matchup. What, what is your pick for this series? Did you submit one? I know we had a round table. Oh, shoot. I did not submit that. I know Drill um, probably hates of course. me. Um, of course. I, I have them all written down, but I have not. <laughs> I haven't written. I haven't written out what my thought would be um, for the who was it? The other team in the West. Um, I haven't figured out yet who I would pick, it, depending on the Memphis Minnesota series, which is kind of like a speculative sort of thing on that. But I have all the other three series picked out. Um, I and again, you raised some questions about Jimmy and like, what does that look like? We're talking about Lowry. If Miami is healthy, relatively healthy for the series, meaning that they have Butler for the majority of it or the whole thing, and Lowry is back within a game or two, I would pick Miami in six in this series. Um, I just kind of feel like their defense is swarming. I feel like their defense has the potential to cause more problems than Toronto's could, or at least with Embiid, that um, it's not going to require as much help to guard Embiid as what Toronto was showing. I think Miami can be a little bit more disciplined than what Toronto was with all the fouls at times. Um, and yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I just kind of feel like this is a series where I think Miami can score enough. Um, but I think their defense is going to make life hell for Philly at times in the series. I have Miami in six as well. Um, and part of it is, I mean, it's just like, I hope everybody's healthy. I know Embiid can't be healthy because of his thumb, and that that's a factor here. I also think that if there's any like Toronto's defense was pretty, it was built to slow down what makes Philly's offense great. I think um, you know Boston's built in this in a similar way. Miami's built in a similar way, and I'm really intrigued by the potential to put PJ on Harden. Also have. PJ hound his 
good friend, former teammate, James Harden, up and down the floor and switch those Embiid Harden pick and rolls where Bam goes on Harden and PJ goes on Embiid and then you can double. And I, I think that that is just like a real, that's going to be a, a, like a bloodbath. Um, I, I hope that's the matchup. That'll be a lot of fun. And yeah, I think, you know, honestly, like I just never expected the Sixers to have the type of game they did in game six. And it kind of warps my point of view a little bit. Like, I think this will be a way more competitive series than I thought three or four days ago or two days ago, but still going heat in six and hope Jimmy's okay. Cause the way he was playing was awesome. And one of the questions that I had coming into this entire postseason is, can we see the Jimmy of two, three years ago in the bubble where he's just like doing absolutely everything and he's way more aggressive scoring the ball. And he answered that in the first round in a favorable defensive matchup. And this one is uh they need him to be just as aggressive, I think to, to beat this team. And it'll be fascinating to see if he can do it. This is it. We've got an Amex platinum pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen, we haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh my, look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Okay, let's move on to uh, the Western Conference and what might be my favorite I think my favorite second round series, I'm not going to lie. Um, Suns and Mavericks. Uh, both teams won last night. Uh, before we get into this, do you want to, do you have anything to say about the Utah Jazz? Um, I was and, wondering whether you're going to bring this up, my friend. Um, yeah, because I feel like we got to hit this. <laughs> I did not have, have to. And I was wondering whether you wanted to or, you know, if maybe there was a reason you held them out. Because I, I think that, first of all, and I, I will own it, they were my preseason pick again to come out of the West. I can't remember mm-hmm. if I picked them to win the whole thing or not. I don't think so. But um, I, you know, I, I was thinking that the Rudy Gay experiment and and Eric Pascal that that was you know like oh this is I understand the logic here. I think this is really smart. And, you know, and it's like that SpongeBob meme. It's like six months later. Um, <laughs> No, I mean, Rudy Gay did not play in this series at all. Uh, They struggled with the same things that really got them eliminated last year. Uh, And yeah, it's like painful to watch. Like it it is threes. (laughs) It's torturous. And it was, you know, the way I described it in the newsletter was that it was like the most it was the most torturous, like NBA style Groundhog Mm -hmm. Day sort of thing you could possibly imagine. And it. I think inevitably spells the end of like this iteration of the jazz, uh, whether we see Quinn Snyder back, whether we see the, the two stars from the roster back and Gobert and, and Donovan Mitchell, or whether we see them split up. 
Um, I kind of feel like the odds on at least one of those three things changing is definite. At least one will. I kind of feel like it would Has be to. more likely that we'll see two of them swapped out. Probably yep. most likely being, I would think, probably Gobert. And um, well, if it's their choice, meaning if Donovan Mitchell doesn't want out, if it's their choice, then I'm assuming that it would be Quinn maybe going elsewhere and uh, them finding a new home for Gobert and them trying to build around Mitchell. Um, we obviously have Rohan who, you know, wrote about the idea of like, keep those two together. Uh, like I, I think in no. theory, in theory sounds great. And like, you don't want to overreact necessarily. They have gotten knocked out exactly the same way multiple years now. Um, but also there's the question of like, whether these guys like each other, which you don't have to, to win big, but when you're losing, I won't say big, but when you're losing consistently, when you're one of the best teams in the league, but you can't get it done in the playoffs, something about the composition has to change. It could be the coaching. We watched that sort of thing play out with uh, Milwaukee. They're making a coaching change and then making a jump right away. It didn't result in a title right away, but it did help them win a title eventually. Um, Correct, but I will say the coaching was there were a lot of questions uh, about very that suspect in Milwaukee, <laughs> and there were a lot also, of questions about that too. Yeah, and they also had a guy named Giannis Antetokounmpo, um, and yes. they had the pieces to make a trade for a guy named Drew Holiday. Those that just that's not none of that is on the table in Utah, right? So I mean, it, there'll be some things to figure out, but my thought is you can't you can't underrate how important. Um, how important it is to have two guys that can gel, hopefully like each other, but if they don't, that they can work together a little bit better than those two have. And to some extent, um, some of the sieve-like tendencies they have defensively are because of Mitchell, which don't do Gobert any favors. So the idea of having them together, yeah, you could swap out Conley and figure out a way to handle his situation and some of the other guys on that roster, but I kind of feel like it might make more, a lot more sense to break them up at this point, regardless of which one you're losing. I think it's actually a very good debate as to which player you would rather try to build around. I'm not sure what the answer is. I know what most people would say, but I have questions about whether Donovan Mitchell is a guy that you, I mean, Mm -hmm. I I get why Utah's not running away from him and want would want to figure out with him. It's a hard place to get superstars to come play. So just letting go of him, and I don't even know if he's a superstar, but like getting someone of his caliber to come play there is not a given. So I don't expect them to write him off and just move on from him. But uh, yeah, I think you have to change something about the composition there in a major way. Yeah, I 100% agree. Um, here's a here's a little hypothetical for you. You're Danny Ainge or ownership or Dwayne Wade or whoever. Um Donovan Mitchell comes to you and says, like, if you don't trade Rudy Gobert this offseason, I'm making it known that I want to be traded. What do you do in a situation like that? And before you answer, I, I in our last episode, we talked about this a little bit, and I was more on the train of moving on from Donovan for a couple reasons. Uh some of it is what you can get back in an actual trade. Uh, some of it is, you know, the idea of building around Donovan is just a lot harder than just keeping Gobert and shuffling in pieces and being competitive and 
hopefully having enough assets to uh, like let this go bear era be a bridge where you can stay competitive and you don't have to bottom out and be like the Sacramento Kings for a few years or anything like which, that. Which, by the way, that's Utah up until recently, Indiana's MO. Like these teams have basically right. never gotten the top pick because of that, because they are in small markets where they're afraid to lose any remnant of attendance. And so they right. just they want to stay decent and try to find a way to rebuild out of decency as opposed to bottoming all the way out. So that that matters here, which I can totally understand. And, and I get. And the other thing is, you know, you hear, you know, these are just I'm just passing along rumors and whispers and stuff. But you talk to anyone, talk to a lot of people. And I've been doing it. The jazz are a very popular topic of conversation out here in Minnesota and in Memphis and just writers and just people around teams talking um, not a lot of people have positive things to say about Donovan Mitchell. I'll just say that uh, in terms of his personality and kind of uh, getting along with everybody else. There are aggressive words that are used that I don't need to say on a podcast about how people feel about him in Utah that I can't substantiate. Um, but like, I don't I think that the there's just like a, a a negative vibe there where you can't just trade Rudy and then everyone's just going to be like happy. And I was I was texting someone last night kind of joking around but like I wonder like what percentage of Bojan Bogdanovic was like I don't want to make this shot <laughs> and keep playing. Wow. <laughs> Bruh, did you just say that? <laughs> I mean, I will say jokes, this though. Jokes. I I will say this in, in in a joking tenor as well. The way he missed that thing, like it did kind of feel like he didn't want to make it. It was man, he missed that shot by a lot. Which, by the way, if if this is the end for Quinn Snyder, who's done a a good job there, uh, a a very good job, I think, in my opinion, over the years, I I thought it was weird that the inside the NBA crew was like skewering him last night, saying that was a horrible coaching job. Like, okay, yeah, your your team is pretty vested in the idea of. Rudy Gobert being a rim protector and the fix that they made again, that I was a dupe enough to fall for was that you were going to go get small ball centers that could, you know, nullify the ability to just kind of rotate you that way. Um, Beyond that, I'm not really sure what the answers were with how bad their perimeter defense was. So what I will say on his way out, if this is the end for him, that play call that they had at the end of that game to get Bogdanovich that shot was beautiful. Mm -hmm. And, you know, granted it, the pass wasn't great, and so uh, the defender, I think, was it Dinwiddie, was able to catch up to Bogdanovich and, and force a pump. He still fake. caught him on a flyby, yeah. Right, but I mean, like, you know, Bogdanovich caught him on the fake and, you know, and, and got him out of the frame on the fake. Uh, he missed that shot by a lot. Uh, so, again, do I think he was hoping to miss it? Of course not, but <laughs> he missed that thing by quite a bit considering how open he was. It was a pressure-filled situation, but... Uh, okay, but it, it, it felt like a merciful end. Like yeah. Utah, I did not really want to see Utah in the next round. Um, you know, game sevens are always cool, but I did not really want to see them in the next round. Okay, now go, let's go back to my hypothetical about Donovan and Gobert. Just what, what sure. are your thoughts on that bad question, Chris? Uh, look, I, I, I think you're spot on about the idea. I mean, this is a very good kind of barbershop versus analytics sort of question of like which player would you rather keep and why? Um, I could very easily see a scenario in which they retool with whatever they get back from a Donovan Mitchell trade and do, I won't say better, but like that they 
are more could be better. <laughs> they, they're, they're still a playoff team. I, I would actually expect them to be a playoff team still if they do that, if they get the right pieces back, if they really study and figure out who they want back in a trade. And I imagine there would be plenty of offers out there for him. Uh, with Gobert, I mean, I don't know what that looks like. And maybe that's a good thing to some extent is that you have to really revamp all the way. Um, but you know on some level that his players like him, you, you, you at least would have a sense of how you wanted to build. Maybe you could get some other players, some better perimeter defenders that don't make you as vulnerable to what the Jazz were vulnerable to this year and last year in the playoffs. So I could very easily see a scenario in which it makes more sense to keep him. Uh, doesn't mean you don't kind of really take a deep gulp when you look at his contract numbers and everything else like that, because anybody that's making almost 50 million in any year, you're going to feel that way about, particularly if it's someone that doesn't really create his own shot a whole lot. Mm -hmm. Um, But I could easily see a universe in which there's still a very good competitive team with him. Whereas I would have actually more questions about if you trade Gobert, what do you get back for him? That would be really interesting to see like what his trade value is throughout the league and what that trade looks like. Whereas Mitchell, you know, you'd be getting a lot back for him. Can I players that don't, you know, that aren't taking 35% of your shots and aren't, mm-hmm. you know, aren't shooting nine for 24 a lot of the time. Uh, and th- he, he has a credible value, but that does drag down your offense sometimes too. So there's a fake trade, whatever scenario that's been kind of floating around that I've seen in various places. And I was just talking about it with someone at shoot around at a Timberwolves shoot around. Um, go bear for Ben Simmons, straight up swap. What's who says no to that? I'm not, I'm not super excited about that. If, well, I mean, first of all, Brooklyn's not saying Brooklyn's not saying no. Uh, Brooklyn should absolutely said, say yes to that. In my opinion, Brooklyn says, no, I'm going to hit them upside the head and like ask what's wrong with you. Uh, because that would be, think about hell, think about Claxton and all the free throws he missed in this past series. Like all the things that you get out of Claxton, which are wonderful, by the way, he's a young player. I mean, the, the free throw misses are not wonderful, but like he's a good young player. But think about the fact that he met, what was it? He started 0 for 10, right? From the line. Mm-hmm. Go bear. Yeah. I mean, for all the things the man is criticized for offensively and, you know, not. You know, it's, it, how do you pay someone that much for someone that can't create their own shot? The man can make free throws. I mean, so there's that, but also he's a great rebounder. He's a great defender in a series where, quite frankly, um, <laughs> quite frankly, you know, Brooklyn was not very good on defense. Now, they were playing against a, a, a difficult offense and some really great players offensively, but, uh, I mean, Gobert would make them a, a very, very uh, – I mean, and he's been healthy for the most part. I mean, he's, he gets hurt every now and then too, but um, Ben Simmons, I don't know what you have with him. So I, if I'm the Jazz, I'm not excited about that at all, at all. Um, <laughs> I, I'm just not. I mean, maybe it's sexy from the standpoint of he's a young player and maybe the, the, you know, the value on him is so low for a lot of people that you could get a star, quote-unquote star, in a small market. But I, I'm thinking about you just talked about difficult personalities, difficult people to read in terms of Don Mitchell. You want to throw Ben Simmons in that situation? Okay. By all means, go ahead. But Brooklyn would do that in 
less than a heartbeat, I'm sure. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think the go barefoot is tremendous. Uh, just thinking of him running high pick and roll with like KD and you have Joe Harris, Seth Curry, Kyrie, whoever else is on the court spotting up like, OK, ball game, game over. Like, that's the best offense I can even imagine in my head. Um, and defensively, yeah, he's he's really go bear. Um, great fit. So then you look at Utah and you're kind of like, is would Ben Simmons even report to Salt Lake City? Would he ever even step foot in the state of Utah after getting traded there? Bro. Like, that's who knows? I don't know. So. Bro. It's uh that's a tough one. Um, but that's a yeah. it's just a fun when we're trying to think of like possible go bear trades. I think that that's just an, an interesting one. I don't think there's too much weight behind it, especially when you think back to the I'm sure they've squashed it by now, but like that beef that Donovan and Ben Simmons had during the oh, rookie of I the for, year. Man, that feels like four lifetimes. Oh, I yeah, forgot it does. about that. <laughs> yeah, but that, that whole thing was so weird. And so I I'm not mad at fan bases caring about their rookie winning rookie of the year, but that, like I, I, I wouldn't mind if people ratchet down the <laughs> tribalism that comes with that. Like somebody asked me about that yesterday about um, the votes and whether I enjoy being a voter. I was like, no, I, because you have, I'm not going to call people weirdos, but you get people, I mean, people are allowed to tweet you and ask you questions. We've been on threads together where people ask why you vote this way. And Maybe I'm just sensitive to it now in a way that I shouldn't be. Uh, but some people are just like so up in arms about it to where it's they call you out of your name. They call the other players out of their name. And it's just like, it's not, there are really good options for rookie of the year in a way that sometimes there really aren't. There are fantastic options for MVP in a way that sometimes there really aren't. Um, the coach of the year this year, you could have gone in a lot of different directions. There were so many, half the league, was kind of really impressive from a coaching standpoint this year. So it, I, I'm, I'm fine with people being diehard fans, but like mm -hmm. diehard should not mean that you're more or less like hoping that someone dies, that a voter that, you know, <laughs> that doesn't vote the way you want or, you know, that you're stupid because you like at, at worst, we're talking about someone winning MVP who was either like 27, 8, 14 and 8 or someone that was like 31, 11 or 31 and 12 and, and three, mm -hmm. or someone that was like 29, nine and seven or whatever Giannis was with some of the best defense in the league. Like, what are we talking? Like, these are all great options. So anyway, uh, that's my rant. That's my soapbox. I'm going to step down now, but yeah, the rookie of the year thing I'd forgotten about between Simmons and Don Mitchell literally feels like it was forever ago. And it really was not. It really was, actually. It was forever ago. <laughs> what was it? Four, how, how far ago was that? Four years? Uh, three five, years? Five. I want to say at least five years. Are those I, guys I, year six now? I I think so. I mean, Donovan's oh. already... Yeah, I, I don't even know. I'm That's half my so. career ago as far as NBA coverage. Wow. Uh, do you have anything else you want to say about about Utah or even the, the Pelicans who also saw their season end real quick. We should probably just say just, just how excited I was to watch them play. Like I, it's a weird thing to say, but I'm really happy for Willie green. I'm really happy oh, yeah. for Absolutely. the Pelicans and the, their fan base in a year where I I'm starting to get really tired and really fed up with the, 
one of the only narratives that comes up with these teams, certainly on a national scale, is that people start like the countdown clock for Donovan Mitchell for, uh, and I mean, that's with him having been with the winning team. Um, you know, one of the three or four most winning, winning his teams over the last five years in Utah, but um, you know, God forbid Zion or, you know, if jaw had been with Memphis and they'd been terrible this year or next year and the years to come, people just start the countdown clock for guys in small markets that are fun to watch. And so that was happening with Zion. Um, granted some of the stuff behind the scenes in new Orleans was not helping, which maybe Zion and his team were not cognizant of, or maybe they were very cognizant of, but I hated that that was really the only conversation happening with them, even as they started to turn it around. Um, so I'm really happy that they made it into the playoffs. I'm really happy that they pushed Phoenix the way they did. Um, there's no, I mean, I'm sure they're not, but there's nothing to be ashamed of when Chris Paul goes 14 for 14 against perfect. you needs to be perfect to beat you well, insane. I, I mean, so I love that. I frankly, for the sport, I love that it pushed the best team in the league to have to play that well and to play that hard. Um, I don't think they were coasting. They were just getting Devin Booker back. So, I mean, I think that's relevant, but it will make Phoenix better. You would think for this round, for the next round, whenever, you know, however far they go, that, that is a difficult series and a, a, a really good team in new Orleans that has a ton to build around. Um, and it sounds like Zion, at least in this uh, baggy day press conference that he gave essentially said that, and I mean, in some ways it shouldn't be that surprising, but, basically said that he wants to, you know, if they put an extension from him, he's going to sign it. Um, again, maybe that shouldn't be that surprising, just given that he's been out for a year. Um, maybe anybody in that position should want to sign. But, uh, you know, that that team, whether he's there or not, or whatever his situation is going to be, New Orleans is so much fun. And um, I, I, you had written about them before. I think you already knew that. A lot of folks there already knew that. I think some folks around the league knew that. But for them to show it on that stage... Um, just pests defensively, a lot of offense and a lot of talent offensively. Super fun team, super excited for their future. Yeah, we had the Pelicans conversation uh, a couple months ago on the podcast. Even in, we had it in the context of could they push the Phoenix Suns in a playoff? I remember that. And obviously, we didn't know that Devin Booker would get hurt, which changed everything. Right. But they still were they were co- like a feisty, competitive team. Brandon Ingram really showed up uh, in basically every game. Uh, Herb Jones is just like, I mean, he's going to go down as like one of the all time great perimeter wing defenders. Just an yeah. absolute monster of a basketball player. Can I player. say one thing? CJ having five fouls so early and that the way the game was called in some ways, uh-huh. um, that was the only thing that was <clears throat> that was frustrating to me about the game last night is that it was a great game even with that. But uh, when you think about some of the things that, you know, the idea that Phoenix was able to do just enough to beat them, uh, some of the calls were, and I think that that's been a, the case with a lot of these series, really. Some of the calls were like, really, you know, like with a game that's that great with CJ, it's so rare to see someone, a guard with five fouls, like early in the third quarter. Uh, and so then you obviously didn't see him until uh, later in the fourth, but uh, that, you know, it was, it was such a hard fought series uh, that really pushed Phoenix that if you're, New Orleans, you've got to be extremely, extremely proud and feel really good about next season. Yeah, just 
looking ahead at a potential starting five for next year, Brandon Ingram, Herb Jones, CJ McCollum, uh, Zion, and I'm going to say Larry Nance Jr. Just because like, I know it's Damn. just one game, but like him being, he was like, he's he was just good. He was really he was good. great. I, he, yeah. I feel like honestly, he's more of a postseason player than a regular season player. And like, shout out to Jonas Valanciunas. Who's yeah. Like, I feel like he grabbed they're, every they're, offensive rebound there was to be had. <laughs> exactly. But I feel like their yeah. roles are reversed in that sense, but that would be just an unbelievable starting five. And, you know, Trey Murphy hitting playoff threes. Just a wonderful experience for them and their development and their growth. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events... You'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. Okay, let's talk about the teams that actually won. Uh, The Suns, the Mavericks. I was saying a few minutes ago, or maybe 20 minutes ago now, (laughs) that this is my favorite second round series. Um, I know that you're a huge Suns person. Uh, Are you still feeling pretty confident in Phoenix, even with Devin Booker's hamstring and Devin Booker maybe not being 100% from the jump um, in Phoenix prevailing in this series or just what are your general thoughts? What what matchups are intriguing to you? And do you give, I'll just say off the top, I picked Mavs in seven because I'm me. I like it. um, I like it. But uh, are you are you still like, okay, Suns are going to roll or just what are your thoughts here? No, 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 no. I mean, I, I, I picked the Suns here, but I did so in seven. Um, I don't think this is, I mean, there's no reason to think that the Mavs would be an easy matchup for anyone. I am a little bit worried about what I just told you about before with, um, for the Bucs and to some extent for Philly, the idea of going from one opponent that defends one way or has limitations one way, and then going against an opponent that really does not have those limitations. So we talked about basically um, Utah and, and how much they struggled defensively and the idea of the Mavs just being able to play tic-tac-toe even before Luka was back to just basically hit Kleber in the corner. Um, that's not going to be the case against the Suns. I mean, the Suns are going to have guys that can really defend Luka, that can defend Brunson, um, that are not just going to leave an open pass to the corner because of their limitations or because of how bad their perimeter defense is. The Suns have a very good perimeter defense. So um, I, you know, I, I think that still obviously guys in Dallas's rotation will present a challenge. Luca does that with everybody. Um, one of the matchups I'm most curious about in this series and a name that I feel like doesn't get mentioned enough considering how good Dallas was defensively this year 
And I think because they don't really have like stud defenders, um, you know, or at least that many of them with that team, this is probably the guy most deserving of kind of the credit is Dorian Finney-Smith in this series. Uh, Him and really, I would imagine at times he's going to be taking Chris Paul in this series. Uh, So looking at the matchup numbers from the regular season, um, he played – he – the Suns scored 65 points as a team in 67 possessions when Dorian Finney-Smith guarded Chris Paul during the regular season, which is a really, 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 really low number. Um, so Finney-Smith is someone I was going to be curious about in this series anyway. One, because he did such a good job on, uh, on Mitchell in the last series. But I am really, really curious to see what that looks like in this series. And to some extent, um, we just watched Chris Paul do what he did <laughs> in this last in this last game where he literally didn't miss a shot. Um, the games, the clutch games were a big, big storyline between these two teams in terms of how well they performed in the clutch at certain moments. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the Suns, we've seen the numbers on them when they lead after three quarters. We just saw what Chris Paul did to end the game. The Mavs play incredibly slow, um, you know, because of the way Luka is pretty uh, deliberate with his offense. Uh, so all that stuff is going to matter. Chris Paul, how he's defended, uh, whether they can get in him a little bit more, even though the Pelicans have guards that defend very well. So Dorian Finney-Smith and and Chris Paul, Dorian Finney-Smith and just how he defends in this series to me is a huge, huge, huge question about who wins the series and how. So I like all respect to, uh, to Phoenix. One of the reasons why I'm going Mavs in seven, and thinking that they can win a game seven on the road is um, just Devin Booker's health is a, is a small, but not insignificant variable here. Not insignificant at all. And also, honestly, Chris Paul is going to be turning 37, I think during this series. And I know he just had like a historically perfect flawless basketball game, but like, at some point, he's going to wear down just a bit, I would imagine. And Damn, did you say so? So the fact that he's turning 37 factors into that, huh? <laughs> well, just, he's just, 36 you know. and 358 days old now. <laughs> but when he hits 37, bro, watch out. The wheels are going to come all the way off. <laughs> no, but what I will say, I will say in all seriousness, like, what I love about Dallas, I wrote about this earlier this season, back when they had Chris Stapps actually in him, uh, I know that they didn't defend necessarily at the same high level um, after that trade. But when you defend, and they defended in this in this playoff series, um, when you defend and you have Luka, playoff Luka, like you are ridiculous. And they have Dorian Finney-Smith, as you said, and Reggie Bullock. And those two led Dallas in minutes in this series. Those are two like critical cogs. They will be asked to do so much defensively. Both of them yeah. shot 40% behind the three-point line in the series. When they shoot threes like that, when they defend, when they play big minutes without fouling, like Dallas is, I don't want to say unbeatable, of course not, but that is just like that's exactly what you want next to Luca. And when you can go small, like I would be fast. Like one of the things about Phoenix that's really interesting to me is their inability or uh, kind of like 
they don't really want to go small ever. And Aiton kind of, you know, causes some hesitancy in opposing coaches too. Like we don't want to go small against DeAndre Aiton. Like credit to him. He's incredible. Man, that dude. Sorry. He's great. He's great. No, DeAndre Aiton's great. Deserves everything. Obvious max player. Like just close the book on that conversation forever. Thank you. But like Finney Smith, Bullock, Jalen Brunson, Spencer Dinwiddie, Luka Doncic. I want to see that lineup against the Suns with Aiton on the court and just see what happens. I, you know, obviously defensively, that could be a little bit of an issue. I think Brunson is a solid defender. Um, Dinwiddie's long and Luka is like playing hard, honestly, on the defense. Besides the first game back, he's had moments where he's actually defending. He can rebound. That's just like a really intriguing small group that um, I want to see. I also want to see Luca in the post um, on Mikhail Bridges, on, on whoever they put him on. And also, I do think that they will do a lot of targeting with Luca on CP, on Devin Booker, force those guys to guard Luca down low, force those guys to guard him in isolation. Uh, Luca just creates issues that are outside of a game plan and he's a truly great player. His level of expertise goes up a notch in the playoffs. One of the greatest starts to a postseason career ever that we've ever seen. Yeah. And finally has like, a playoff series win now, which feels crazy to have had that much success individually. And obviously right. they got close to, to winning series before, but to he makes a few free throws last year and doesn't go up right. against like the greatest one of the greatest players in NBA history. Then, right. you know, he has one, but exactly. Um, Luca is phenomenal. So that's why I'm going Mavs in seven by, by be a great hair. series. I, I think it's going to be super competitive, super fun. Um, really looking forward to it. Fingers crossed uh, for good health. Just like yes. as, as we talk about Booker and, and obviously Luca just coming off his injury too. So it would be great to see that those two teams play and not have any injury concerns come up. 100%. Especially when we're looking at that with the East too. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh my, look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Okay, Chris, I want to close with two... Actually, I want to get to an email real quick. We'll close on the email. Before we get to the email, though... Uh, quick predictions about, I just want real quick Celtics bucks. Give me your prediction. We're not going to have a big conversation. Sure. Tell me, tell me what you're thinking. Celtics in seven, seven. Okay. I have Celtics in five. Uh, Well, there's no Middleton. So, I mean, I, I get it. I was tempted to go six, five briefly floated through my mind, but I'm like, 
man, I, I don't think they're going to bottle up Giannis like that. Like, I don't think Giannis is going to get bottled up like KD did for the co- first couple games. And, and if you take that away and you take those games away, Brooklyn probably does get one of those games. So I don't know. But then again, for me to say, how could you pick them in five? That means that Giannis has to get multiple games to not for it to not go five. So I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. We'll we'll see. It, it, it could play either way. There's no Middleton, so it's not crazy. Um, and and I do think Boston's the better team now, so that's not crazy. Boston is great, and I feel like they are. I mean, I know they were built to stop Giannis. That's how they were built. The, the Horford trade, drafting Rob Williams. That's it's like Giannis and Embiid are like the two guys who they have on their mind as an organization that we have to get past. And I feel like they have all the pieces, multiple pieces, bodies to throw at Giannis. And it will it'll take some lights out three point shooting, I think, to beat them. It'll be interesting. Now, they had it against the Bulls, but against again, the Bulls, man, it was the Bulls. They 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 (laughs) had to sell all the way out and leave guys all the way open to where Grayson Allen was hitting 70 percent from the three point line. But all of his looks were wide open. So yes, Boston's yes. ability to recover when they're walling off somebody like Giannis will be important, but obviously they can do that better than the Bulls can. So um, it would take really, really hot three-point shooting, but I wouldn't take that off the table for at least a game or two with Milwaukee. They're capable of doing that, certainly. Okay, and real quick, prediction for games. This is going to be like completely useless by the time most people listen to this, but I just want to get you on the record. Game six, who you got tonight? Grizzlies, Timberwolves. I'll take Minnesota for this. I think it'll go seven. I I feel bad in advance because I know a certain somebody is out covering that series tired and (laughs) under the weather. So I'm hoping that you don't have to cover it much longer, but I really do feel like, you know, as the conversations hovered around for a while about Minnesota and just these blown leads, you're doing something right in the first place to get the leads. Uh, And you know, so they I think they've held their own from that standpoint. They just haven't been able to hold on to them. So I, I think that they'll come out. I think that they'll win tonight and and force the issue back to Memphis for game seven. Uh, Memphis in a blowout, please. Uh, Jesus, <laughs> <laughs> that's all I want. Um, that would be really great, uh, even though oh, I love man. the Timberwolves, love their fans, love people in Minneapolis. Everyone is so nice in both of these cities, but please. Memphis, now you're just trying not to get beat up because you're saying exactly. you don't want them to win. <laughs> exactly. Uh, okay, I want to close with this email from Zach real quick. Uh, mm-hmm. Zach writes, how much should we take into account how NBA players evaluate other NBA players? The Nets debacle is a good framing for this issue. We have heard current and former players say over and over how Kyrie is the most talented guard or offensive player in the NBA and maybe ever, how he is undoubtedly one of the greatest 75 players of all time and maybe in the top 20. Giannis called KD the best player in the NBA in a league where Jokic and Bede and Giannis himself are putting up literally unprecedented numbers. Do players value different things than fans? Is there an appreciation for certain skill sets amongst players that overrides the analytics and maybe even contributes to basketball success? Should we care whether Giannis thinks KD is the best player in the NBA and Iguodala thinks Kyrie is a top 20 guy of all time? Uh, Thank you, Zach. Um, I wanted to hit this email. I just think it's a really fascinating question. We could have held it into the offseason, but uh, really interesting thought exercise that could drive conversation for 
like an hour. Uh, just what are your synthesized thoughts in answering this, Chris? I absolutely think there's a difference in the way that they view players versus the way fans do. I think even reporters do. Um, but I will say this. I mean, we've had this question about Jokic for a while as far as why does it seem like so many people in the league are kind of, I won't say anti-Jokic, but um, they don't talk up his game that much. Um, they kind of, you know, when people are asked their opinion about who should win MVP, LeBron and everybody else, they always kind of say, give it to Embiid, give it to such and such. Uh, actually, I don't know if LeBron has said that about Embiid, but, um, you know, pl- plenty of people have done that over the last year or two, or they feel right. like other people should, you know, be in the conversation. And it's kind of like, it feels like it's a slight uh, on Jokic because he, you know, is going to win the award, but none of the, the biggest names are saying he's the most deserving guy. Um, and then you have the situation with Kyrie where, I think there's something to be said about the unstoppability of him uh, when these guys play against him. I think that the highlights stand out, the skill set stands out. Um, but I will also say that I, we, Kyrie is interesting because we saw him in a, an example very early in his career where he was not lifting a really poor team on his own by himself, wasn't able to do that at that point in his career. Then LeBron kind of swooped in. And so Kyrie was kind of put in a different stratosphere at that point as far as winning. Uh, And all of a sudden, so now I don't know if he really became a winning player because of that or if there's a such thing as a winning player. We've seen that conversation shift now on Devin Booker to some extent with Trey Young, certainly up until this year with Trey Young. Um, I think the Bulls for a while were allowing Zach Levine to kind of shift in terms of the perception of some of that. Um, and I don't know if, if maybe there's too much emphasis on that. Somebody has skills or they don't. Kyrie's always had the skills, but I don't know that all of it translates to winning by himself as like the key guy on his team by himself. So that's going to color the way we think. I don't know that that colors the way NBA players think. Like I think NBA players probably felt like Trey Young was a badass before they went to the Eastern Conference Finals last year. I think a lot of NBA players probably felt Devin Booker was a badass before last year. So I, I don't know. I, I, I do think that there's a difference, but I do think also you can look at Kyrie and tell he plays a lot differently than a lot of people. And most people can't do what he does. And in a lot of people's minds, that is going to kind of determine whether they're one of the best players or not. Um, we think that way too, but we also have a lot of stuff that we're bringing to the table from a statistical standpoint that a lot of the players are not paying attention to in the same mm-hmm. way that when we talk about clutch shooting numbers and everything else and about the idea that yes, Kobe's made more game winners than anybody, but he's also taken so many more than anybody else. And his percentage mm-hmm. of made shots in those situations is lower than most guys. So it's a framing thing. And I, I don't think that NBA players frame that the same way that people that are paid to talk about it for a living do, or people in front offices do. And that's okay that they don't. Uh, they've got a different level of experience with it, and I can respect that level of experience. Yeah, I mean, there's just two separate points of view. Both have value. Uh, you talk to veterans around the NBA about or ask them questions like this, which I have, and they'll say that you know front offices and uh, writers who really value analytics are just looking at spreadsheets and really not calculating uh, competitive fire, night-to-night spirit, um, like a care factor, 
just uh, uh, someone's mental makeup in a high leverage situation versus a January meaningless January regular season game. I think players can contribute um, in knowing stuff like that absolutely better than anyone. And um, it's fascinating to hear what they think. Uh, one of the most interesting examples is just like anytime Draymond Green has something to say about players around the league. My ears perk yep. up because I'm going to learn something that which he uh, just did that about Jokic, which is interesting because it makes me wonder whether the tide and, and again, like I, I think all, all respect to Rohan. I love he's our buddy. I love him. <laughs> he wrote the piece earlier this year on whether Jokic, whether there was a perception that Jokic wasn't getting enough respect. He's going to win MVP for a second time in a row. So even if there's a perceived, I, I, I think we can say two things at the same time that he might be, he might not be fully appreciated by NBA players as much as we would think, given that he's going to win a second straight MVP, but he's also not getting less respect, certainly from the voters. And even just generally, like he's getting enough respect. It's just a question of whether NBA players see him as like the unquestioned superstar as he is. And maybe, Maybe in some ways you could say that is less respect than he deserves. Okay, whatever. But it was really interesting to see Draymond after matching up with him and having his hands full with that matchup mm -hmm. say this dude can play and going out of his way to say that. It was also very cool to see Jokic kind of respond in, 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 in kind by saying the same thing basically about Draymond and all the stuff he does. But it makes me wonder when Draymond says something like that out loud, and watching him play against Draymond and do as well as he did against Draymond in that series, whether that's enough to shift the tide that, of the perception that we have of the way NBA players think about him or talk about him or don't talk about him. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, like you said, Draymond, no one's going to question his basketball knowledge. Um, super intelligent just from as a player, very easily could be an analyst. And obviously is kind of doing that in that role now. He but is. Yeah. He is an analyst. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, one of the, but then like the other side of the coin is just like, sometimes you hear players bring, I don't even know how you would describe it as you were saying earlier, Chris, kind of like a personal baggage into the conversation where like, sure. for example, um, Rudy Gobert is disrespected. He's a punching bag. Uh, I think it was Anthony Edwards who said like, Chris Stapps was a better rim protector or something. I, 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 I'm yeah. going off the top of my head, but like stuff like that. It's just like, are, did, are you serious when you said that? Like, what are you, is there like something you're trying to get across that has nothing to do with answering you know the question? What? You know what? So, so speaking of Draymond and how good he is at this, and this is not completely, completely analogous, but I thought it was really interesting that I think today, literally he was talking about trash talk and guys that, you know, you'd kind of have to just shut up and play. He brought up Carl Anthony Towns. And he didn't come all the way out and say it, but he said, I've noticed that Kat's been talking a whole lot this year and just a lot of gestures and a lot of, you know, like the, the air ball thing where he acted like there was a breeze coming. Uh -huh. And, you know, he's been talking a lot in this series and saying a lot in this series. And he was like, you know, I just don't think that's like, we've never seen that from him before. I just kind of feel like we know that's not who Kat is or like, we're not convinced that's who Kat is. Basically, like, you're not that guy. And I just kind of feel like NBA players see you as being that guy and having that tenacity or they don't. And that's what I'm saying about Draymond as it relates to Jokic is I think a lot of people see or saw Jokic that way in the NBA. And Draymond was coming out of his shell to say, or not his shell, Draymond certainly does not have a shell, but 
Draymond went out of his way to say Jokic is not soft. And it was almost like, I don't, I don't know that this opened his eyes to that. I'm sure he knew that on some level how great he was, but playing against him game after game after game and Draymond knowing how great a defender he is, it was almost like he was saying like, we can eliminate that thought that Jokic was ever softer than he is now. Cause he's not. So I do kind of feel like there's like a, a label on guys of guys that might be a little soft around the edges or in the middle a little bit. And um, I, I think when there's that perception that exists, you have to do something to take it away in the eyes of NBA players that may not exist as much, certainly for people that are paying much closer attention to the numbers and to the tendencies and other things. And uh, that does not exist the same way for players, for sure. Some guys are just, yeah, punching bags. Uh, and it's really hard to shake a reputation like that. Um, and perceptions don't, they're not altered overnight uh, in the NBA. So Gobert, Cat, trying to think of who else, just really talented players, but don't seem to have the proper respect level that from their peers that, maybe you or I do and watching them and studying them and looking at right. their contributions on the court numerically, um, which is, and does just, it feel like to you that it's, that it, that it's tied to a perception of softness. I mean, like, I, I think that might be the best way to put it that guys that I don't know why, like with Jokic, I'm not sure why he's not a guy that just, I mean, he bangs guys in the post. Um, but I, I guess there was the knock for a few years that like body wise, the composition of his body was not, great you know at least is the way it was perceived the the conditioning was not great as of a few years ago um that knock's not there anymore so i i mean that's but i don't know i I, maybe there's still something to be said about europeans and the way people think about europeans carl anthony towns is not european but um but i i i think that it is rooted somewhat in the, the toughness factor that people no one's ever said that about ja like when we like the way he talks and the confidence that he plays with and speaks with, I feel like would set him apart. So no one would say anything about John. Uh, so I think that's a lot of times, I think that's what it is. Like, I, you know, when we talk about the respect factor, I've never been able to pin down what it was with Giannis. Um, you know, and maybe it's a foreign thing, but people have been big on Lucas since the minute he came in the league. So I don't know what it is. There's again, I knew this question was going to open up just, a million different avenues that we could go down uh, like just a fascinating topic of conversation that maybe we'll, we'll revisit in the off season, but I think that's going to do it for today's show. Chris, thank you so much for your insight, your expertise. Thank you so much to our listeners for sending in all of your wonderful emails. Please keep them coming to openfloormail at gmail.com. That's openfloormail at gmail.com. Everybody, please stay safe. Everybody, please continue to enjoy the NBA playoffs. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash shot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply.